Welcome back to Holly History. This is Nick today, and just to introduce something brand new that we're going to be bringing to you now. We hope you enjoyed our two-part series in Genocide. It's still probably going to work and get in a third part, but we want to come out with something new, the, uh, the Holly History folks, to bring to you something a little bit different. I'm going to call these history shorts. And what we're hoping to do is a 15-minute episode. Yes, they picked the most long-winded person to do this. <laughs> Get a whole unit, um, and we're going to go through 8th grade curriculum because that's the basis of what I teach. That's my main subject. Uh, other stuff like World Wars is also in there and some other electives. But we want to bring to you 15-minute history shorts that encompass an entire unit, the bare bones of what you need to know for an entire unit. The hope is that 8th grade students could review this as well, and maybe even the uh, the juniors too for the Reeds exam. I'm going to take you through 1865, so Reconstruction, uh, up until almost modern day America, and to serve as a review for students of you know just the basics of what you need to know. You know, tune in 15 minutes at home on YouTube. Check out Holly History. I'm going to try my best to keep them that length. This episode is an exception because I'm going to be explaining what Holly History shorts are right now. And uh, we're going to be for fun, you know, review. And kind of, you know, if you want to listen to this before the unit or listen to it after the unit, it might be great. Something also students in other school districts can hopefully latch on to. We can grow Holly History to even being uh, more popular. So there's understand we're going to be leaving things out, though. We're, this is not going to be an all-encompassing thing each unit. Uh, there's things we just have to skip to keep it to 15 minutes, and I'm going to do my best to keep it to that time frame as best I can while still providing you some uh, some great history. Hopefully, we can do even US 1. We can do like 7th grade stuff and kind of backtrack too, so we're hoping to get that all in. So today, we're going to start with Reconstruction and just some of the basics here. Reconstruction is the time period following the Civil War, 1865, and historians generally put the end of that in 1877. And really... Reconstruction has a two-pronged approach. Um, the government needs to figure out what are we going to do with this newly defeated South? Um, how are we going to deal with the, the, this, this nation that rose up and separated themselves from the main country? How are we going to treat them? How are we going to treat the people of the South? And number two is how will we deal with the newly freed population of slaves? And at the end of the day, war, the war, Civil War was caused by slavery. There's the narrative states' rights out there, but if you go read the sources... Um, the Texas secession papers, any secession papers of any state, it's very clear. The vice president of the Confederacy himself said that the, uh, the, na- the new nation would be, be built on the cornerstone of slavery. I'm paraphrasing there. Um, and the serious destruction of the Civil War caused, you know, estimates of 700,000 casualties total of the war. Um, just absolutely high numbers. Incredible. Uh, unfortunately, the time period kicked off with the one person that probably could have guided the nation through Reconstruction well, perhaps Abraham Lincoln being assassinated by John Wilkes Booth in 1865. And it really just puts a completely sour taste in the mouth of many Americans. And after this long, drawn-out conflict, you know, I believe I said 700,000 casualties. I'm pretty sure it's actually 700,000 total deaths. I'm not positive those numbers. I'm sure somebody will fact-check me right after this. But, um, you know, Lincoln laid out his roadmap for the nation in his second inaugural address when he's reelected. In 1865, he gives this speech, and I'm going to quote just a section here, and he says, and I quote, With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and, and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. End quote. 
So as you can see right there, Lincoln really did want to treat you know, so that, 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 that charity, um, the charity idea, firmness, malice toward none. He really wanted to treat the South with a certain amount of respect. He didn't want to create animosity there. You know, we saw it. We seen World War One, World War Two. What you, what happens if you kick somebody when they're down? Um, he had his ten percent plan, which would allow Southern states back into the Union. If ten percent of voters of that state would swear an oath of allegiance to the Union, they would be readmitted quickly and swiftly. So there's kind of Lincoln's plan for the South. And and by the way, Lincoln is a Republican, and people of his own party are not happy with this plan. Um, this, the radical Republicans in his own party in Congress, they want to see the South established as an area of equality for African Americans and even poor whites as well. Uh, Charles Sumner and Thaddeus Stevens will be two of the guys that are the leaders in Congress. Sumner being a senator, Thaddeus Stevens being a congressman. These guys were kind of willing to, and these guys were calling for you know really harsh punishments for the South, but they're kind of willing to go with Lincoln on this, this 10% plan a little bit more because... Lincoln is is going to be in their camp as far as establishing equality for African Americans. The problem is Lincoln's assassinated, and now we're left with his vice president, Andrew Johnson. The assassination of Lincoln, the first assassination of a U.S. president, this um, it leaves the country shocked. Uh, Lincoln was just really, you know, I consider him really hitting his stride as a president. There, the Thirteenth Amendment's passed to end slavery. The war is coming down. He is he is at the height of what he can do, and he's taken out of the deck of uh, of cards immediately there as the start of Reconstruction. So Johnson's an interesting guy. He doesn't play well with radical Republicans, first of all, because he's a Democrat. He was added to Lincoln's cabinet as uh, kind of a popularity measure, and he does not play well with the radical Republicans, and he never will during his entire time as president. He does not see... Um, the government being used as a tool to establish equality for African Americans, newly freed slaves in the South, as Lincoln wanted and the radical Republicans wanted, and he'll veto numerous measures to do that. Uh, he does agree to treat the South with respect, though, so there's a similarity to Lincoln's plan. But what you have left is a president who does not agree with anything, essentially, to the radical Republicans who are kind of dominating Congress at this time and, and getting moderates into their corner. They don't agree on anything. So he gives... Um, amnesty really to a lot of the southern leaders southern generals because there was a question of what what are we going to do with these guys these are people who left the country these are people who rose up in rebellion are we going to hang them we're going to try them johnson kind of puts that to rest as i believe lincoln would have wanted to no hangings uh, we're going to have to try to move past this as best we can the 13th amendment and, that, and that's rare for you know revolutions and in, in, in uprisings in countries for that truly to happen uh that forgiveness um you know, that's that's the direction Johnson wanted to go. The 13th Amendment was previously passed, and it was moved towards adoptions in the southern states. Johnson did push that one a little bit because that was passed when it was alive. It was already in the process, and that officially ends slavery because the Confederacy is trying to negotiate from a standpoint at the end of the war of, you know, can we, can we just come back in but keep slavery? And Lincoln's pretty, no, it's dead. Slavery is done. Um, and the 14th Amendment arrives shortly after that. We call these the Reconstruction Amendments. you got to know these, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. The 14th Amendment, after the end of slavery, uh, is designed to grant citizenship to African Americans and those born in the United States uh, and grant them equal protection under the law. This did not apply to uh, Native Americans, by the way. It eventually gets followed by the 15th Amendment, which language is a little bit challenging. So 13th Amendment ends slavery, 14th Amendment grants citizenship and guarantees equal protection of the law, regardless of who you are. And the 15th Amendment is designed to 
grant um, it, it, it explicitly states, I'm going to paraphrase here, that no state can discriminate on the right to vote uh, based on race, color, or previous servitude, obviously going to African-American males there, could still discriminate based on gender, which is a very sour moment for the uh, the women's suffrage movement. I mean, Susan B. Anthony, the, the Seneca Falls Convention has already happened. Uh, it's, it's more than 17 years old now. So this is very, 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 almost 20 years old. This is a very sour moment for, for the, the women's voting movement, which will continue well into the 20th century. But nevertheless, this is granted for African Americans designed to vote in the South. So you have African Americans in the South receiving all these rights, and they're going to have to figure out how we're going to you know, implement them, protect African Americans from any animosity. There's a lot on the table for the federal government here to deal with. Uh, they're they're very very radical acts, very very quick changing, and Johnson's not thrilled with them. Um, on top of that, the radical Republicans have also placed troops in the South to protect African Americans, so they can do this and try to ensure that equality is established. Um, again, Johnson tries to veto a lot of these measures. He tries to veto the I believe it's the Civil Rights Act of 1868, which kind of go along with the amendments. And Johnson actually is kind of set up, so to speak. He he actually gets impeached. He's the first president to be impeached over the Tenure of Office Act. Um, and he rem- and most people don't understand this. When you're impeached, you are not removed from office immediately. Impeached means you're going to go to trial, and the Senate is going to hear your case, and whether or not you're removed from office, they're going to decide. This is like the Super Bowl of the day. People are buying tickets. There were scalpers outside. Um, and Johnson actually gets acquitted by one vote. And long story short, he's not going to win a second term. So Johnson's going to be out, and he's gone down as one of the, the worst-off presidents in history, you could probably say. With new people voting in the South, the South's going to have brand-new governments now. Uh, African-Americans are serving in a variety of ways, from everything from a sheriff all the way up to state senators and representatives in the House, and even senators like Hiram Revels, who was a U.S. senator from Mississippi, who was, who was, who was an African-American. Um, some other members of these new Southern governments are people like Scalawags. These are poor white Southerners who felt that they didn't have a voice in the old South of the old plantation system, who at, by the end of the war were very upset with the current state of things and kind of felt like they didn't have any real say in that. They were sort of dragged into the conflict to preserve slavery. And um, they become Republicans and, you know, not necessarily out of out of a, of, of a desire always to help African Americans, but to have a new voice in this government. But there were some, you know, that want did want to help African Americans as Republicans uh, at the time, and some were carpetbaggers as well. Carpetbaggers is a more popular name we kind of throw around there for somebody who comes to take advantage of a situation either economically or politically who is not from the area. Uh, if you go to be a senator in another state that you're not from, perhaps you could be called the carpetbagger. So carpetbaggers are people who came south from other areas to try to, you know either generally help out or take advantage of the situation in the South. I mean, the South is devastated. Uh, Sherman's march to the sea is one example, right? The South is completely obliterated and needs to be rebuilding. That term reconstruction is not both, uh, it's not only figurative, you know, reconstructing the country, bringing it back together again. It's also um, a literal term from the South, right? We're trying to, to build it back up again, brick by brick. And Southerners see this whole thing as losing their way of life. Um, and they are going to try to be determined to take that back. This is a flip side for African Americans who, early on in Reconstruction, we call it the radical Reconstruction phase, um, you had Sherman's field order, which before the war is over, his idea was to give every African American family 40 acres and a mule. 
the problem that the government saw with that, some people, was you'd be confiscating land from former Confederates. This would create animosity. This wouldn't work. But that, that 40 acres of a mule, it's actually Spike Lee, his a director, his um, his film company's 40 acres of a mule because they, African-Americans felt like that could work, right? Uh, African-Americans in slavery have been kept in a state where you know they were not educated intentionally. Um, you know, low levels of literacy and education on purpose in slavery. They're kept there for that that, that very reason to be kept in, in bondage. Um, so one of the things they set up right away is the Freedmen's Bureau, the government, well, uh, schools, hospitals, uh, providing food and relief right away. And, you know, African Americans also vote and serve in the government. Some have also been serving in the military, right? So Southerners see this radical phase and panic and immediately want to try to grab onto their old way of life. They may not be able to have slavery, we'll try to get to as close as possible. Um, freedom meant great things for African Americans in their personal lives. They were able to find family members that had been sold before. Uh, they were able to travel. Some some went north, some went west with the Homestead Act we'll talk about next unit. Some worked in the Transcontinental Railroad. But just having that, that freedom to not live by another's leave was very huge for African Americans. Um, pardon using the adjective huge there, but it was very important and crucial. Um, Mr. Christman jokes, you know, huge, how huge, right? So it's not exactly the greatest adjective to use there. Um, it meant great things in their personal life that they could seek out family, but economically, there wasn't much freedom. I mean, these are people who are coming out of bondage to join a South that for the large part in many areas doesn't see them as equal or even maybe doesn't want them there, right? So this is, this is a great challenge. And you get into something called sharecropping. Where many people, you know, felt that, okay, African Americans have the skill of they're very good at, you know, farming, right? They can, they can do this. And what the, and poor whites fell into the system, too, where they would rent a uh, parcel of land from a landowner. They would uh, buy the seed, the supplies for the year on credit. They would plant. The problem is the, the landowner would then sell the crop, um, say, hey, you didn't even make up the money to pay me back. Now you're more in debt to me the next year. There's a cycle of poverty that just grew. So economically, freedom for African Americans in many cases didn't mean a lot. However, in that radical phase, um, African Americans in the early portion of Reconstruction until about 1870 in some cases will exercise more political freedom than they will over the next 100 years to the Civil Rights, you know, the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act of 1964, uh, 1965 Voting Rights Act and Civil Rights Act of 18, uh, 1964, excuse me. They'll have more freedom those first days of Reconstruction than they will for a long time. But as Reconstruction drags on, a lot of issues arise. Um, Grant elected after Johnson in 1872, and the Klan are, it forms a direct terror organization to African Americans' new freedoms. They will uh, burn schoolhouses, they will you know, commit murders, lynchings, all sorts of things as the direct terror threat to keep African Americans from accessing the new freedoms that they, that they have gained. Um, so Grant's first term goes relatively well-ish, I guess you could say, in some ways, but the second term is a much different story. You have scandals from the whiskey ring, um, you know, nepotism, appointing old army buddies to distract, um, old army buddies to positions, and this distracts from Reconstruction. And eventually you get the final nail in the coffin, which is the Panic of 1873. And during this time, while the, the country's gaze is pulled away from the South and Reconstruction, um, from the, by the Panic of 1873, which was an economic collapse of banks along the East Coast, which really dragged down the country's economy, and Americans began to focus on that. And by this latent period of Reconstruction, African Americans are receiving, you know, um, very little assistance. Uh, the troops are still in the South, but not nearly as active as before. There's there's riots in Louisiana all over the place uh, of of racial natures excuse me, racial nature that springs up and just all kinds of nastiness you can go look at. And 
then you get the election of 1876, the election of Hayes versus Tilden, um, and the Compromise of 1877 is struck. Rutherford B. Hayes will become president, a Republican, but he will agree to remove all troops from the South, effectively ending Reconstruction. And um, it was a popular sentiment because people wanted this over. They wanted it ended. And they will get that with Hayes, and Hayes will get to be president. It's a very close election between he and Tilden. Uh, historians, you, know, you, you could probably debate who won the election, actually. But basically, the, the guys from both parties meet in a room, and uh, this deal is struck, and Democrats will say, well, we promise to respect African-American rights in the South. Which, if you fast forward, uh, you know, not long, you'll see black codes implemented. You know, you can't carry a gun. African Americans can't meet in this 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 size of, uh, they can't assemble in the size of number. Um, Jim Crow laws, segregation, uh, poll taxes, literacy tests that will keep African Americans from voting uh, based on you know paying a tax to vote, or you know you could discriminate based on the ability to read or write. The Fifteenth Amendment said you know you couldn't discriminate based on uh, race, color, previous servitude. But didn't say anything about literacy. It didn't say anything about paying a poll tax. And poll tax actually sold as patriotic, like do your patriotic duty, because many African Americans uh, were in poverty following following the Civil War and during Reconstruction. They didn't have a lot of money on hand to, you know, pay a poll tax. Obviously, but uh, and, and many of them, you know, obviously lacking education from slavery, as we discussed. You know, if they didn't receive education from Freedmen's Bureau or other sources, uh, would not be able to pass the literacy tests. And many times, literacy tests were bogus, anyways. And these will be used for you know 100 years until the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is passed, and the Civil Rights Act of uh, they say 19, 1965, not 1865. That's when Reconstruction starts. Um, and so, you know, and you'll see this increased violence, just this intimidation that we use to keep African Americans from accessing their rights in the Southern states. And, you know, elsewhere, too, this is, you'll see this in the Midwest sometimes throughout history. Uh, lynchings are not only, you know, kept in the South. They do happen other places as well. They're, they're most well-known there, though. Um, and down the road, you know, 1896, 1897, you have the Supreme Court ruling of Plessy versus Ferguson, which legalizes segregation on the, the national scale of keeping things separate but equal, right? Um, and Reconstruction, as it's seen by many historians, 1865 to 1877, is a failure. It failed to establish equality for African Americans. It failed to establish, you know, really truly bring that, the country back together. Uh, I think to this day, you look at Confederate monuments and the debates over that. Um, these things still rage on. These debates still rage on as well. So it's our first Holly History short. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to get much better at these, hopefully. And I did looking at the the time here. It looks like I kept it very close to 15 minutes because the first two to three were discussing what shorts will be. Uh, thanks for listening, and yeah, use this as review, and we hope you enjoyed.